This podcast was recorded on the lands of the Boonwurrung people of the Kulin Nation. The land on which I am lucky enough to raise my son always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Hello and welcome back to Ready or Not. I'll admit this hiatus was longer than intended. I've just come back from two weeks in Bali and I planned to keep the podcast going while I was away, but I actually just couldn't bring myself to work over there. I am pregnant and after going through the first trimester while parenting, a lingering chest infection that made me realise how much work my pelvic floor needs and just being a human in this busy world, a break was much needed and here I am finally releasing the daycare Q&A that I promised three weeks ago. But before I do, given this episode is a bit different in nature, I'll start off with a bit of a recap of my first trimester this time around and how we found traveling to Bali with a 15 month old. First things first, pregnancy. Well, unlike falling pregnant with my son, this one took us by surprise and it wasn't planned per se. Although that does always sound ridiculous when you're having unsafe sex, doesn't it? We thought it might take at least six months, so we decided to not use protection once our son hit his first birthday. We had so little sex that I even said to my husband that month, we didn't try this month, which I think is a good thing. And of course, while our son couldn't have been more planned, this time around shocked us, with a much smaller age gap than we intended. My heart goes out to people who are having the opposite challenges, but I now understand the unique surprise that is being lucky enough to fall pregnant quickly. It's incredible, yes, but it's not all sunshine and rainbows when you're trying to navigate career, money, and parenthood as it is. And when it comes to the first trimester, everything about this pregnancy has been different too. Where I felt mildly hungover with my son, this time I felt horrific from roughly weeks six to 11. I only vomited twice, but I felt the need to often, and I didn't feel mildly hungover this time. I felt like I'd been up drinking margaritas all night, most nights. There were quite a few days where my husband had to fully take the reins in parenting and in house life, and daycare did a lot of heavy lifting here too. Work took somewhat of a backseat, and while we're not so privileged that I couldn't drop everything, I did wonder how on earth people do it without flexibility, or without family or a partner to help them. I don't have the answer yet, but those people deserve more. Aside from feeling way worse, which was only fleeting compared to what other people go through, the other thing that caught me by surprise was how jaded I felt this pregnancy. Now that I'm at 13 weeks, it started to dissipate somewhat, but this time around I feel much less grateful and much less in awe of my body and more pissed off that my husband can't carry a child, give birth and breastfeed. The injustice of what women go through to create their family has hit me this time, and I wrote an essay about it that I'll link in the show notes. Secondly, let's talk about what it was like traveling overseas with a toddler. I'm not going to teach you how to pack or give advice on how best to fly with a baby, because I don't bloody know. I'm also not going to say that it was hell when I feel incredibly lucky to have gone on such a trip, but it was different. The flight over was intense and I longed for all of those beautiful child-free flights I'd taken for granted before. Put me on a 30-hour solo flight with five stopovers 
over a six-hour flight with a baby any day of the week. Once we arrived, it struck me that I was always on, always thinking about where his next meal would come from, always working out plans around his naps, and always keeping him out of the sun and away from the pool's edge. You really don't relax in the same way as you once did. So it's not exactly a holiday with a toddler, but we were lucky enough to engage the services of an incredible nanny called Angel. And let me tell you, that name fits. With a wedding being the main reason for the trip, we knew we'd be hiring a nanny. And the times that she looked after our son were the only times that felt like a real holiday. But of course, you still never really switch off completely. Leaving your baby with a complete stranger can feel a bit odd to begin with, but Angel quickly felt like family. She cried the last time she put our son to bed and said her goodbyes, and I cried saying goodbye to her. This is how much she meant to us, and I'll always be grateful for the way she cared for our boy. Of course, there are moments that feel uncomfortable when hiring a nanny, both from the guilt perspective of wanting time away from your child on holiday, and also from the point of view of privilege. I felt so uncomfortable when she called me ma'am, as though I was somehow above her. And also with how grateful she was for the tips we'd leave after each babysitting session. And even as I thought about what I'd say in this recap, I still don't feel right about the fact that I didn't pay her the prices I would in Australia, when she did a much better job than any local babysitter ever has. That's no diss on local babysitters, but these nannies are incredible. They play with them the whole time, they do not leave their sides, and they genuinely care about them. But all in all, it was an incredible experience. And as long as you treat them with the respect that they deserve, give them the extra tips above the hourly rate that I believe they absolutely deserve, and think of them as family, you and they will love the experience too. Angel was incredible with communication, reliable as hell, and a delight to our son. I can't speak for every experience here, but ours was a 10 out of 10. But that's enough from me. Let's get into today's daycare Q&A with Cabba. As the resident childcare expert in a mum WhatsApp group that I'm in, and with over 10 years of experience in the field, here Cabba is going to answer all of the questions you submitted about daycare. Both Cabba and I want you to know that this is just her opinion and her experience, and everyone is different. At the end, you'll also hear a voice memo from Cabba that we've added on at the last minute because there was a question that I wished I'd asked here in our chat, and that is how child cares cater for children with diverse needs and disabilities. So stay around at the end to hear Cabba's thoughts and experiences on that, which she generously sent through at 9.30pm last night after a busy day of working and parenting. Thank you very much, Cabba. Now, we really have heard enough from me, I think, so let's get into it. I'm Lucinda. This is Ready or Not, and here is our Q&A with Cabba. Cabba, thank you for being here. You have a wealth of knowledge on a topic that I think a lot of people find pretty stressful. Before we get into our 16 questions from our followers on Instagram, can you please introduce yourself to us? I sure can. Thanks for having me as well. So I'm Cabba. I have been working in the early childhood industry for probably just over 10 years now. So I have started off in the rooms when I was younger and then sort of worked my way up over the years. I've been a director of a centre, the assistant director, educational leader. Yeah, very much a mixed role, basically, 
of a lot of things. I've worn a lot of hats. And I also have two children of my own. So I've got two daughters, a four and a half year old and a nearly two and a half year old. So they keep me very, very busy. And I am sure if you know who I am and who my children are, you know <laughs> that that <laughs> they keep me on my toes. They are very fun from what I can see, but definitely throw you some interesting challenges, which I love seeing. So we're in a mum WhatsApp group together and you're literally our go-to for <laughs> anything to do with childcare. So I think people are going to learn pretty quickly what a wealth of knowledge you are. So without further ado, I'll start getting into the questions. And the first question is what to look for in a good daycare and what to ask when taking a tour. So before I start answering the questions as well, I just want to say that there is no one hat fits all situation. Every family is different. Everyone is after something different. And obviously this is just from my own experience as well. So other people are going to have different point of views or opinions on something. This is just me sharing my thoughts, my processes, and sort of a bit of experience of what I have had over the years. So don't just take it away and think, oh, I have to do this or I have to do that. I think it comes down to you and your family um, and their preference and sort of what you're looking for. So when it comes to starting off brand new, you're a new mum and you're looking for a childcare centre, it can be very overwhelming if you don't know what to look for. And my best advice would be to just start by looking at different centres take the tours and just go through and just work out sort of what it is you are actually after. So it is really, really difficult to just go to one centre and think, yep, that's what I'm doing. Um, I love this centre. I'm going to enrol and that's it. Of course, if you know that there's a centre that's amazing and all your friends are going there and the feedback's really great and that's the centre you want to go to, then of course do it. But if you can get to sort of three to five, even 10 different centres in your area, just go for it because more than likely you're going to walk in the door and you're just going to know whether this is a tick or a flick off your list. And so like, obviously for me working, I was working in a different area to where I lived and the travel was getting really difficult for me. So I went into one of my local centers and I walked in and I just knew that this center was not for me. It just, no matter how much I tried to sort of look on the positive side I just, something just did not sit right with me. Mm, so it wasn't anything in particular that you could like itemize. It was more just it a feel. It actually ended up being a bit of a situation in the center. I won't go over it now because I don't want to scare anyone away. <laughs> However, I just knew that my gut feeling at the very beginning was telling me something. And then by the time I got mm. to the end of the two hours, like, yeah, I've made the right decision. This is not for me. But for anyone else who is looking for a center, when you do walk in, Try and, and try and gauge a feel for the centre. You know, when you walk in, are people friendly? Are you greeted by the director or um, another admin staff sitting at the desk? You know, does it smell nice? Does it look and feel clean? And I know that's a bit of a funny one because a lot of people are like, oh, you're there to look after my children, not to clean. And, yes, I absolutely understand that. However, if you can't keep the centre clean, how are you going to care for my child? Mm, I also don't want my child crawling around in old stale food on the floor and, you know, grubby, dirty floors. Have you been cleaning the resources? So all those things are really important to me is the hygiene of the centre. Especially when sickness is already such a big thing anyway, yeah, right? If we could reduce exactly. a little bit of that. And there are definitely centres 
that smell a lot better than others. And don't get me wrong, you might walk into one of the rooms when you're going through and they don't smell great. <laughs> they are still changing nappies throughout the day. It's not always going to be that the room is going to smell like roses because it's never going to happen. Mm. But, you know, it, is it clean enough that you would be happy with your child playing there? Mm. The other thing to sort of look out for is are the educators happy? Do they look happy? Are they friendly? Because generally speaking, if they are looking unhappy, then they're probably unhappy being there at work. And then, you know, that comes out on the care of your child as well. So you want those bubbly, fun, energetic educators looking after your child. Um, Another thing is just recommendations as well. So ask around and see whether you have friends or if you're new to the neighbourhood, ask your neighbours or, you know, there might be a local chat that you can sort of get onto and ask for advice for different centres. It it is a really tricky one because obviously I would go in there and see a whole different view of a centre as opposed to a brand new parent going into a centre. And the questions I would ask would be a lot different to what a general parent is coming in and asking as well. I do know that I have had families come in and ask me about our assessment and ratings before. So if you're unfamiliar with an assessment and rating, basically it is the Department of Education that comes in and rates your centre. Ah, interesting. Yeah. So basically you get rated from essentially a working towards, which is not good. You don't want to working towards. And then all the way up to exceeding. Now, if you go and Google the centres and you go purely from these reviews, it's just not always the way to do it. I mean, yes, Mm -hmm. you can, but there's been instances where our centre that we've been working at has been impeccable. Like I couldn't fault it. The educators are just beautiful. The centre is clean. Like the education side of thing is amazing. The yards, the facilities, but it's who you get on the day to do your evaluation basically. It depends whether they are in a good mood or a bad mood and they can mark you down on things. So, yeah. And they could catch you at just like the worst hour of the entire week or whatever where correct. something where shit hit yeah. the fan but for the rest of the week it yeah. ran really smoothly. Exactly. So my thing would be if they are working towards, and that's a red flag for me, there's no no working towards, working towards what? They should at <laughs> least be a meeting with some exceeding areas. So that is also another thing to look out for. That's a really good tip. So sort of I guess the main thing is trust your gut. Even if you're a new time mum that doesn't really know what you're looking for, the main thing would be to trust your gut. And then if you want to tick off some other things, you might start to look into hygiene, how the staff seem to interact with each other and the kids. Correct. And then if you really want to go that next level, perhaps look at that rating system. Correct. And also what they offer in the centre, some centres don't offer nappies, they don't offer food, Um, So all those things can be broken down into categories, which means you're going to be out of pocket more because you're going to be having to provide your own food, provide your own nappies. Also what's included also within the centre, you know, are there incursions and excursions? Uh, You know, do I have to pay extra for those throughout the year or are they included within the cost of the day? What's your menu like? You, You know, what sort of food do you provide for my children? Those are big things also that I like to ask and look out for so you can sort of gauge what your children are also going to be eating throughout the day um mm, I didn't even think of that and my son's yeah that's a great tip and while I'm thinking of it you're actually reminding me of I think some parents would become a bit unstuck because they might have left the 
search for daycare too late so then they might just pretend to themselves that the one that they've gone to that they've had a bad gut feeling on is okay because they actually just need their kid to get into daycare when would you recommend starting to look at daycare honestly start as early as possible like when you're even maybe when you're trying even in some areas I I imagine we get a lot of parents come through who put their unborn child on a wait list um Mm. when they're obviously pregnant um, and that's fine. We just put them down as baby, baby Trembath or um, whatever their last name is. And that's fine. And then we just give them a call to say, hey, there's a spot available. And you can either say, yep, great, let's take it or no, thank you. We found another centre in between. Mm-hmm. Um, so my thing would be to yeah, go go and take those tours. And if you like the centre, put your name down on the wait list. Sometimes you might have to pay a little bit of an admin fee. It's like $50, usually non-refundable. Some centres are free to go on the wait list. To me, I would just pay the money to go on the wait list if it's not a lot. And then you just know that you have options. So a centre might call you that you don't love necessarily, but you're like, oh, you can start. And then you can always pull them out later if you're not happy with the mm. centre and you get an offer elsewhere. So don't always think that you're going to be trapped at the one centre and life is horrible and it's never going to get better. You just have to try and see. And if it's not mm. right for you, then you can move on to a different centre. So the next question is how would you ease them into it in a perfect world? Obviously, some people just have to get back to work and have to get their child to daycare and it might just be quite a quick turnaround in the postpartum and they just need to go full time. But if you had the privilege, I guess, of slowly building up, what do you think would be the perfect way to ease them into it? Yeah, so if you have the availability, obviously, to be able to ease your child in over a period of time, we definitely recommend... Um, it also depends on the age of your child, whether you're starting them from nursery or they're that little bit older. And it also depends on the temperament of your child. If you know that they're probably going to take that little bit longer to settle in, we always recommend doing it a little bit slower if you have the availability um, and then just see where you go. So also depending on what center you attend, they also have a a different enrollment process. So the last centre that I was working at, we did a hour meet and greet. So you would go in with your child and you would meet the educators and you would sit through and have a bit of a handover. Um, and then after the hour, you would leave. And then the following week or within the same week, depending what you wanted to do, you would have two half days. So you would drop your child off, say goodbye, and then you'd come and pick them up in a couple of hours. And then you would do that again for the second time. And then generally after that second half day, you can sort of gauge whether or not that they are going to need a little bit more time to settle in, or you think that they would be okay for a full day or even a three-quarter long day. You mentioned two days in one week there. Sorry to interrupt you. Do you you purposely try to do two half days in one week if we're talking about trying to ease them in so that they get that familiarity and maybe their memory is a little bit jogged as opposed to going once a week? Yeah, correct. So Again, it's just dependent on your situation and what you want to do, but there are majority of centres out there who will require a minimum of two days. Mm. It definitely helps them having a minimum of two days because it's obviously continual care for them and six days in between going to care is a long time for them. So if you can break it up and do, I don't know, say like a Tuesday and a Thursday or even two consecutive days, it just makes it that little bit easier for them to settle in over the long run. And so the third question here, Kappa, which I found really confusing and quite stressful, is how do I know how much childcare subsidy I'll get? Yeah, good question. So 
Back years ago, everyone was eligible for the same amount, regardless of whether you were working or studying or you had 16 kids or you had one. And now it's considered a childcare subsidy and it is all means tested. So the best thing to do is to actually go onto the Centrelink website and there's a payment finder. So you pop all your details in and it'll tell you whether or not you're eligible for CCS. And then you'll actually be able to go through to the next section and pop all of your personal details in for you or your partner and your income and your situation. And they'll be able to tell you exactly how much money you'll be out of pocket for that fortnight. So the centers charge differently. You might get um, charged on a weekly basis, a fortnightly or a monthly basis. However, Centrelink works on a fortnightly basis. Mm-hmm. And to be able to put your details in, you actually need to put in how much you're going to be charged for um, an hourly rate for the centre. So if you have a rough idea of perhaps you're going to be sending your child to the centre down the road and they charge $160 a day and they operate for 12 hours, you just have to work out your hourly rate. So if you've got a really rough idea, you just pop those details in and then it'll come back and let you know exactly how much you're eligible for and also how many hours you're eligible for over the fortnight too. And so our next question, Kaba, is family daycare or childcare? What's the difference? Okay, so these are two completely different scenarios. Again, it's not a, you know, a one hat fits all situation. Um, family daycares can be really, really beautiful. You just have to find the right one. They are different in the sense that you are going to have one educator looking after a group of children. Um, My assumption is that it'll be a ratio of one to four because the children will be under three years of age. There will be centres out there that, sorry, family daycare centres out there that will have older children. So they might have a larger group if they are over the age of three, the ratio is one to 11. So you have to be comfortable with having your child in someone else's home around all of their own home appliances, um, access to the bedrooms. Obviously, they have restrictions of Mm -hmm. what they can and can't do, just like being in a childcare setting. Um, And I imagine they have to get some sort of accreditation. Is that right? Yeah, of course, of course. Yeah. But for me, just knowing that there's only one educator at home essentially looking after the children what happens when they go to the toilet and they're going to be unsupervised for that period of time or what happens when they're trying to settle one child to sleep in one room and then they've got three other toddlers out in the other room. Mm. And I know that there's always ways of working around these things, but these are the the things that sort of, I guess, flag out to me that the difference with having a childcare setting as opposed to having a family daycare because when you are in a, um, a long daycare setting, so childcare, you obviously have more children within the room. So depending on the centre, sometimes their rooms of eight or usually they're a minimum of 12 to 16 per room. And so the ratios are one to four under the age of three, and then it jumps up to one to 11 when they turn three. So you just sort of have more hands on deck. The educators get a break. They get their morning tea, they get their lunch. So, you know, they get to go and have some time to themselves and come back and be a little bit more refreshed. Mm, Um, that's a really good point so it's almost like if you're considering the family daycare route there can be beautiful ones but the questions might be more around how many people are in the group and where are they going to be if one has to go for a nap and just they're probably more the questions that you'd ask as opposed to the questions you'd ask going to a long daycare or childcare setting and there's nothing against family daycares I've got 
friends who have run family daycares before and they've been beautiful people. So I know that my child would be really well looked after. And I've also got friends who have sent their children only to family daycares and that's their preference and they've loved it and their children have thrived. So it's absolutely nothing against them. I guess those are just the biggest things for uh, the differences between a long daycare centre setting as opposed to a family daycare setting. Mm, that's really interesting. So the next question, and this one tugs at the heartstrings a lot because I've just sent my son, son to daycare and I know what it feels like. All the pros and cons of starting daycare before age of one help change my mindset and guilt, please. <laughs> okay, so this is a huge one because I feel like I get asked this a lot and so many parents are so quick to judge when they see someone sending their child who's quite young to childcare and I think that's really mean and selfish because you don't know a parent's or a mum's situation as to why they're sending their child. Mm. And my thing is I personally sent my first daughter back to childcare when I went back to work. She was seven months old. And I went back to work because I needed to just for my own self. I felt like I just needed to get back into a normal routine and I was fortunate enough to actually be able to bring her to work with me. So it's a bit of a different situation from other families. But honestly, she thrived from being there. She loved it. She loved her educators. She loved being there. I knew that she was getting all the attention that she needed from a young age. And my gosh, she is the most resilient child I have ever met. There's absolutely no cons there from me in terms of do I regret sending my child before 12 months? Absolutely not. I love that. I hope um, some mothers are listening to that as they leave a daycare feeling riddled with guilt. No, that's it. And I feel like, yeah, so many mums are judged for sending their child early and sometimes you just don't have the choice. So when I had my second daughter, um, I wasn't sure whether I was going to go back to work or not, but I was in the situation of I either take the position for her now and have it or I risk it and see how we go in a few months' time and reevaluate, knowing that probably 98% chance that I'm not going to be able to get that spot back. So oh, that's another whole kettle of fish, isn't it? You go yeah. off the wait list and then where are you going? Like some of them are so competitive and so long. Exactly. So I, I ummed an art and I originally said no. And then a week later, I was like, oh, no, I need to take that spot. And there was only one day left. So I lost one day within that week already. Um, so I decided to send my second daughter, who was even younger, at five and a half months, one day a week, which is not even recommended. So I did that. And again, she was so happy to be there. She didn't sleep, <laughs> but she was so happy to be there. Um, and again, so resilient and loves going to childcare now. She's got her little friends who she's had in nursery from a really young age. And um, yeah, for, for me, there is no cons about sending your child from a younger age. They learn so much when they are there. Anything from learning how to feed because they're watching their friends feed themselves or learning how to become creative because they're watching their friends become creative or even just learning to sleep in an environment that is so different to home. Um, obviously getting settled to sleep with several children in a, in a sleep room is different to being Those settled. rooms make me laugh so much, by the way. I cannot believe that they can get them to sleep in there. 
it is a challenge and it is sometimes one of those situations where you're literally trying to get three children to sleep. You've got your two arms going, you've got your leg going and you're rocking them back to sleep. You've got the shushes <laughs> and you just look over at the other educator in the room and all you can just do is laugh because it's just one of those situations where you're like, this is fucked. <laughs> and just on this too, is there any merit in, and I'm not saying on the flip side, I'm not judging someone for sending their kid later because I think whatever you do works for you but to make those parents going before one feel perhaps even better do you think there's any merit in the fact that when they're a bit younger and less familiar it can sometimes be positive to settle them into that environment before they realize that their mum's leaving them as much yeah absolutely so again this is just a recommendation and everyone is completely different and it is dependent on the child however if you can get your child in before 18 months it is the best thing to do once they hit 18 months, that's when they start to learn a bit more about stranger danger and um, losing, I guess, sort of like the confidence and being away from the main carer for a period mm. of time. Um, so that's when drop-offs and settling in can become a lot harder for them because they're 18 months now, they're aware of the situation um, and they're able to start being able to let you know exactly how they're feeling and then you just feel really terrible because they're telling you I don't want you to go and you know I hate it here and all those things so it just makes it that little bit more difficult for them to actually settle in again having said that children settle in at different times dependent on who they are (laughs) as a little human being so that is not relevant for every single child out there it's just a sort of generalization of the ages Yeah, and I loved what you said about what they learn at daycare because that's the next question actually. What do babies learn at daycare and what are the benefits? And this person again says to ease the awful guilt of sending them. Yeah, so again, it just depends on the centre that you're sending your child to. Um, However, these educators are all trained in ensuring that they are accommodating for all children's ages um, and and their skills. So, for example, in the baby's room, there should be different areas set up within the room for those little tiny, teeny bubbers who are just sort of doing tummy time at the moment and aren't really doing much else. And then the children who are a little bit older and they are running around and they are quite active. So if you look around the room um, to sort of grab a, a sort of grasp what might be happening in there, you know, is there sort of a quiet area for them so that they can do reading? Is there something where they can be a little bit more creative, whether it's music or is there art set up on the table? Is it an indoor-outdoor program where the children can sort of run inside and outside depending on what they're feeling and what they want to do? But it also depends on what centre you choose. Majority of centres these days are play-based learning, which means The areas are set up within the rooms that the children believe that they're just playing. However, the educators have set them up so they're learning things every time that they pick something up or they do something or they bang on something or they put a puzzle together. They're learning something, whether it's their Mm. fine motor skills or their gross motor skills or it it really just depends on the ages of the children and the centre that you go to. But they are learning so much more than just socialisation, I can tell you that. Mm, that's really comforting too because often when you're at home with your baby there's only so much you can do to entertain them and then realizing that they gain that stimulation that socialization while learning the whole time is such an amazing thing for them yeah of course and that's it too I think that sometimes parents get confused in not wanting to send their children 
early because they're like, oh, we go to the park on the weekends and we have play dates all the time. My child is going to be so social. It's not a problem. <laughs> and then they get to childcare and they're that little bit older and they're like, oh my gosh, they won't settle. They're crying. I'm going to pull them out. I'm going to wait until they're in three-year-old kinder. And to me, that is like the worst thing you can do because it's just going to be even harder for them to settle in later on. So if you can send them that little bit earlier, then do it. If you can't, it's not the end of the world. Um, you just might have to sort of rearrange a few things later on down the track. Mm. And the next person says, how long should I stay and play for at drop-off? <laughs> okay, I love this question because if you are doing your orientation and you are meant to stay there, then please stay there for that time. But if you were doing your second part of your orientation and it's a drop-off situation, please <laughs> drop <laughs> off. Say goodbye. You're going to have a good day. Give them a handover and leave. Otherwise, it makes it really difficult. Please do not stay and play. <laughs> That's a really interesting one. I tend to follow that rule because I'd rather just not have too much interaction and not have those moments where he's like, oh, you're leaving. So I just yeah. sort of face him away from me, hand him to an educator and get out of there while he's backs to me. Tell him I love him, walk off. Correct. And that is the best thing that you can do is tell them that you love them. Tell them that you are leaving and you will come back. Don't lie to them and say, I'm just going to the toilet because then they will be thinking they're going to the toilet. They're going, to, they're going to be back in a minute and then they'll be looking around and wondering where you are. That kills me just thinking about that. Yeah. So really important not to lie to them but to actually cut the cord and just say, see ya, I'm going, have a good day and I'll be back later. And it's as hard as it can be and emotional sometimes, you just need to hold it together until you get to the car. And then cry as yeah. most and then others cry do. cry as much as you parents. want when you get to the car, but you just have to keep it together for them. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah, I can imagine <laughs> them saying you upset is a bit of a snowball it is, effect. It's so hard, but yeah. Easier said than done, but great tips. How many days are recommended? I'm assuming this is another one size does not fit all answer. Yeah, correct. So again, um, it depends on the center, depends on your child, depends how old they are. But general rule of thumb is sort of minimum two days. And then when they get to um, three-year-old kinder, three days. And then when they're in four-year-old kinder, four days, so that it sets them up as best as possible for the school year the following. Oh, that's really interesting. I wouldn't have even thought of that because I'm so yeah. far away from that part, but that makes sense. They're slowly yep. stepping up each year. Again, it, it really is just dependent on what um, the families want to do. And also sometimes you can't actually even get that many days. And some children attend five days. So it really just depends on what you guys are doing and what fits best for your family. However, those are sort of the loose guidelines and recommendations. Um, but, yeah, definitely four-year-old kinder is probably one of the biggest ones because they are going to be heading to school the following year, five mm. days a week. And majority of the long daycare centers these days are play-based learning, like we mentioned before. Um, so when they get to school and it's structured learning, their little brains are on overload and it is so much for them to take in. Yeah. That it can become really exhausting when they've gone from two or three days to all of a sudden five days. And I do like, essentially they have that sort of first term where they're doing four days, but even then it's not that long when you think about it, that they're going to be going from like a three day to four days 
And then all of a sudden, five days full on Monday to Friday for the rest of their schooling lives. Yeah. And if they have started at the daycare that they've ended up going through to four-year-old kinder at, because some centres do operate like that, don't they, where you can send them the full schmeal, then they're all of a sudden going from wearing casual clothes with all their mates that they may have been with for years to a school uniform, set times. Like there's so much going on, isn't there, in this new, new location. So that's really good advice. So the next one, another big one I am sure is around illnesses. What to expect and is it better to start them older or younger in terms of immunity? (laughs) Your child is going to be sick. I'm not a doctor, um, (laughs) but whoever your child is, they are going to be sick and it's going to be frequent. And this is like a whole podcast session on Mm. illness. But I guess the biggest thing would be just knowing that your child is going to get sick regardless of what centre you send them to. Illness goes around. Children are going to have snotty noses. um, They're going to be coughing, all those things. And sometimes you just can't help it. Some children will have a cough for the first 12 months, um, runny noses. Yeah. But general rule of thumb is that expect illness nonstop for the first 12 months and then it should sort of ease up after that. But it just means that you are also going to have to coordinate your home work life around this as well. I found that really difficult going back to work was the juggle of trying to care for my child who was really unwell nonstop, but then also making sure that I was showing up to work and getting my job done as well. That's a really hard thing to juggle for parents. It's such a hard one. Yeah, it is. It's really difficult. And there is no sort of right or wrong way to manage it. I think it is just to be open-minded that your child will become sick. It sucks. It's really difficult. There's lots of sleepless nights. There's lots of mum guilt, but it's not forever. It does end, uh, but it's just to sort of get through that really nasty stage of starting at childcare. And so I guess also back to the question of, do I start them younger or older? It doesn't really matter. I mean, Mm. they're going to be exposed to them sooner or later anyway. It's whether or not you do it when they are a little bit smaller or you wait until they're older, but they're still going to get sick regardless. They just might've been exposed to a couple of extra little things in between. So it doesn't really matter. Mm, Daycare still ramps it up, doesn't it? It doesn't matter if they're sort of two and they've been sick a lot of times. I actually said to some of my friends, like Ray's been around a lot of kids. So does that mean he'll get less sick when he starts daycare? And they're like, nah, 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 nah. He's still going to get sick. Yeah, they've always just got like a new strain (laughs) of something every single week and then they bring it home to share with a family. So yeah, that's fun too. My second didn't um, get as sick as my first child. So I don't know whether that was because she was exposed a little bit more, but she just generally wasn't as sick. So I think it's just, yeah, I think it's a sort of given that they're going to get sick, but how sick it just depends. Yeah. Okay. And so the next one is, I don't think my child is going to sleep on those mats and cots. What do I do? So this is something that gets brought up every time we tour a family. They ask, (laughs) where does my child sleep? And they can be a bit shocked that we have mats on the ground for them because they're like, oh, where's their beds? But I'm not sure where you expect us to sort of store 22 (laughs) when you've got a full room. So most centres have mats that come out um, during nap time and they sleep on the ground, obviously with bedding and bed sheets, um, comforters, all those things. They do sleep. So parents don't believe us when they say they will sleep. They do because they're watching all of their friends do the same thing. So 
if everyone's lying down, then they're going to lie down too, of course. Sometimes it can take them, you know, a little bit of time to sort of settle down to the floor when they're used to being in a cot, but they do, they, they will do it. And it's the same with the cots. However, it can be sort of hit and miss with the babies. Majority of them will settle in and, and get used to sort of being in a group setting, sleeping with other babies. Or you have my second child who will do like half hour stints for the entire day and that is it. They would spend yeah. like four hours trying to get this kid to sleep and then the slightest noise, she'd be up and that was it. Yeah, Ray's doing that at the moment. He's doing like 20 minute sleeps during the day, but we are yep. still in the early days too. And he's, you know, he's just about to tick over 11 months. So we're in the early, he's only been at daycare for about a month. So I think it's just that he's settling in, I'm hoping. Yeah. And that's it. Sometimes they do just settle in and they're fine. And then others don't. Mm, <laughs> he's never just, been a good day sleeper anyways. So I don't really know yeah, what I'm expecting out of him. That's it. Like, what can you do? You just sort of have to just try it and see how you go. But then also before you know it, they're not going to be in the cots anyway. And then they're going to be in the next um, age group and they're going to be sleeping on the mats. So it, again, it's a, it's not forever, but if they are really struggling, then your educators should be able to work with you to come up with some sort of solution to get them to sleep longer as well. Um, that's definitely something you can discuss with the childcare. Oh, that's a really great tip. So the next one is tips for a previously easy drop-off that has begun, become hard and tearful for 2.5, two and a half year old boy. That breaks my heart. That's a really hard one. Yeah. So this is difficult because it's hard to sort of answer this without knowing the background situation. Um, from what I can gauge is that I'm going to assume that it's a brand new year. So they're not in the same room with the same educators anymore, which is very, very common that it's going to take a child a little bit longer to resettle in because they are in a new room with some new educators and it all feels a little bit, you know, new to them again. Um, it can be difficult I guess the best thing is to just try and resettle them back in by allowing them to feel comfortable being there, you know, be happy at drop-off, talk about in the car all the positive things that they love about childcare, um, talk about their educators and who are you going to play with today and, you know, oh, little Benny's going to be there. What are we going to do with Benny today? Make it a positive experience. And then at drop-off, again, we discussed give them a kiss and say, everything's going to be okay. You're going to have a great day. I love you. And I'll come and pick you up later. And sometimes they will kick and scream and be really upset. But if you have a good educator in the room, they will take your child for you, go and take them outside, get some fresh air, distract them, um, and then give you a ring later to let you know that they are fine and they're settled down now. But Sometimes it can take a little bit of time in doing this. It just depends. So I, another suggestion would be to just really work with the educator within the room and just say what's going on, how's the handover been when I leave, how long is it take, taking for them to settle in, is it a couple of minutes, is it half an hour, and just sort of try and get to the bottom of it and sort of work through some suggestions on what, what might help ease them back into care again. Mm, this actually, I saw this play out with a really good friend of ours. Um, her son was moving from one room to the next and actually something that the educators did was say, he can just come into our room for a little bit and then I'll take him up to the room he's moved up to this year. So yeah. sometimes as well, it seems like educators will do everything in their power to, yeah. I mean, not sometimes, they, they want your kid to be happy and comfortable and loved there too. So I thought yeah. that was really comforting seeing that play out. Yeah, absolutely. And if 
if that's not happening, then that's a bit of a red flag. <laughs> if they're not willing to do something to help your child, then that's when you start to think, well, okay, so maybe there is something else happening that that's why they're not happy coming in the morning. Ah, oh, that's a really good point. So the next question is thoughts on Story Park or photo sharing apps for daycare parents. So I am so old school with this. I, yes. They are great that you can see updates from your child's day and the photos and they're really beautiful. And some parents really love to see that their child had their nappy changed at 10.05 and it was soiled. Well, that's very exciting, fantastic. They've done their daily poo. And then there's families who just really couldn't care less. So it's really 50-50. There's so many different apps out there these days that you can use and some of them literally tell you how often they've been to the toilet, what they've had for lunch, etc. But there becomes a point where I almost wish the apps didn't exist because it means that the educators are constantly behind that iPad, taking photos, uploading, writing stories. Um, And then you get families who call in and they're like, it's 10 on three. And I've just noticed that Billy hasn't even had his nappy change in the morning. And I noticed in a photo that was uploaded that he's wearing a jacket and it's 23 degrees outside. And I'm just wondering if you could please call through to the rooms and let them know that he needs to take his jacket off. And I'm not sure if he's got any sunscreen on because it hasn't been updated on the app. And it's wow. Big. Yes. And I didn't know this in a sanctum it happens. existed. It happens. <laughs> so my daycare does like an end of day report, which I think is great because I'm not really thinking about it at the time. And then all of a sudden these cute photos come through and I go, oh, that's cute. He hung out with that kid. Yeah. So everyone is different. And I guess that's a thing too. Like you can't be on these iPads 24-7 updating every single thing. So the best that we could sort of work it out at our last centre to manage it was to sort of have blocks during the day. So we would log everything on paper. So we knew that all the nappies had been changed and that all the children had their sunscreen applied and all the children had had morning tea and all the rest of it. But we wouldn't upload the app until a certain time of the day. Otherwise, you're on there constantly throughout the day and then you have parents doing what I just explained before, calling up and complaining because of all these situations. So yeah. for me, I, I honestly don't love them. I really, yeah. really That's an interesting one. And also, like, we already feel guilty about how much time we spend on technology on, on our phones, so I'd probably prefer personally for my educator to maybe take one photo and send it at the end of the day but be present with my kid instead of being on Correct. an app. Yeah, yep, me too. And because when I first started, there was no such thing as apps. Everything was um, manually, you know, sign your child in with a piece of paper and a pen and we had beautiful scrapbooks that we did with the children and the families were all contributing to them as well. And now everything is just online. So it is a very different world and I can't imagine it going back to pen and paper anytime soon. Um, but yeah, that's my view on them. Yeah, fair enough. I can totally understand that. Why is it so hard to get your baby in care mid-year? Mum going back to work in September. Help. Okay. So Basically what happens is at the start of the year, this is when the re-enrollment process, um, I guess, starts. So generally speaking, at the end of each year, families are called up about what spots that they want for the following year for their children and they're sent out offers. And then come January, majority of those places are already taken. Whether or not you want to take that spot straight away is sort of a gamble as to whether you're going to get a spot later on down the road. Depending on the centre, 
generally speaking by March, even earlier, sometimes January, they're all completely gone. Um, Mm. If the spots are taken, it's very hard for them to become available throughout the year. So it's sort of a, do I take the spot and start a little bit earlier, like what I did with my second daughter, Frankie, or do I risk risk it and essentially miss out on my number one centre, my number two centre, maybe even my number three centre, and then be stuck. So it is a really tricky decision to, to make, but it's sort of one that you really have to think about, especially if you're going to go back to work as well, and that's when you're planning on doing it. Yeah, so I guess the only spots that then would come up during the year is if someone pulls their child out of that childcare. Correct, yeah. Yeah, that's really tricky. Generally speaking, if you do get to sort of September and you want to start your child and you call the centre and they're like, oh, we've got five spots, pick your days. That to me is a red flag. Why is your nurse? (laughs) Like that is not that is not okay. Like there's a reason that the that the nursery is empty. If there's a little bit of a wait list or they've got like one day available, that can be fine. But if they're literally offering you whatever days you want, not a problem, we'll have the spots available, a little bit of a red flag. Mm, interesting. And so my second last question, what parental behaviour frustrates you as an educator? This is very thoughtful of this person. <laughs> <laughs> He's asked this, but oh, that's really tricky. I don't... I think that's really anything that's ever sort of. Would it be if they don't sort of maybe trust you or something? Like I, I get that parents are scared to leave their kids for the first time. Would it be if they didn't trust you and they're monitoring your work, I guess? I don't know. I'm trying to inspire an answer. There has been situations <laughs> where parents have made assumptions about what we've done during the day. Like, you know, a child's had an accident and they've just assumed that we're not caring for their child kind of thing. That has been a bit of a like, oh, that's really unfair. Like that doesn't make us feel good because, you know, they were busy playing and we can't monitor just your one child when we also have like another 20 children in the room and there's only two of us kind of situation. Mm. Um, But if I was to pick one thing, it would be the drop-off. So the parents who drop off their child and then they see their child upset and the educator's taking them away and then the parent comes running back in they're like oh just give me one more kiss one more kiss one more cuddle come here come see mum and then they take them again and then they hand them back over again crying even louder and longer this time and then the parent comes back and he goes oh what's wrong what's wrong what's wrong oh let's resettle them again that can be really difficult for educators because it just prolongs the drop-off, mm. prolongs everything. It takes us longer to settle the child. But that's probably the only thing that I would say for me has ever been sort of frustrating. But apart from that, like families are so good and if they trust you with their children in their care, like they're amazing. They become, you know, your families too. Like you become you grow really um, close bonds with your family. So there's nothing really, yeah, that's sort of triggering, I guess. (laughs) That's really nice. And so the last one, for all the mums or parents that feel sad watching their baby cry as they leave, what are the things that you say that you think are the most comforting to parents, either to tell themselves or maybe their friends about to start the daycare journey and they're trying to provide comfort to their friends or remind them why it is that they're doing what they're doing? Yeah. So this is, uh, this is so common. And the amount of times that I have had to settle a parent more than I have had to settle a child, I can guarantee that your child is going to be okay. Whether it takes them one minute to settle, or it takes them a little bit longer, you know, a few weeks, they are going to be absolutely fine. 
it's just a matter of giving them that sense of hope and also just being positive because they are going to have so much fun. They start making little friends and they start bringing you home little artwork or they start telling you stories or, you know, with the apps, you start getting updates of them doing um, interactions with the other children or experiences. And those are the things that when you start seeing them or hearing them, it makes it all worth it, but you just have to push it out. Mm. It's really difficult when you see families who start their child and they come such a long way and then the parent decides to pull them out because they personally think that they're just not settling it's really hard because you're like you you put in so much effort to build a trusting relationship with these children and they are doing so well but then they get pulled out because the parent doesn't think that they are doing well so I guess my thing would be is that it's fine absolutely fine to feel all the feels about dropping your child off and leaving them and feeling sad about it and having a cry in the car, that's totally normal. But just know that they're going to be absolutely fine. And if it makes you feel any better, call the centre and say, I just want to know how they've settled in after the first half hour. Or if you get a really good educator, majority of the time they'll say to you, don't worry, Cabba, we'll give you a call once they settle. And by the time you get to the car park, you've got them calling you on the phone being like, he's fine. He's outside playing. Don't ever worry about it. They've had a, um, a really good morning. They've done this. They've done that. They've had morning tea. Um, so communication is really big on that one too. So just communicate with the educators. I love that. Give yourself some time. Forgive yeah. yourself for being upset because it's a very normal emotion if you're cutting sort of ties for the first time with your baby for more than, say, half an hour at a time. Absolutely. And communication. Yeah, that's it. I love that. Thank you so much for all of this, Kava. This has been really okay. interesting. Not a Thank problem you for being Thanks here. For having me. And before we go, here's Kava's voice note that I mentioned earlier. So the question is, how can childcare cater for children with disability and what determines if a mainstream daycare would work for a child with a disability or not? Um, look, so basically every childcare centre within Victoria at least is set up to cater for children with additional needs and disabilities. Um, however... It is definitely determined by case by case on each centre. There's some centres that I've been to before that I would say are not as well equipped for children with certain disabilities than other centres. It also just depends on what the disability is. Um, is the child needing to use an aid of some sort? Are they wheelchair bound? Um, do they need crutches? It just, it really just depends. Um, again, dependent on the centre. So a majority of the centres that I started off working with, we actually didn't see a lot of children with disabilities. And it's not to say that they weren't there, but we just didn't have many attending the centre. And at the time, I didn't really think too much of it as to whether perhaps the parents decided not to send the children because they wanted to stay at home with them, whether it was um, more convenient or they didn't feel comfortable sending them to a childcare centre. I'm not 100% sure. However, they were definitely equipped to have children with disabilities at the centre. Um, and then... The more that I worked over the years working in different suburbs, um, I definitely saw a large array of children who did have disabilities. 
we had a little boy who was on an oxygen tank at our last centre. And that was definitely something that I hadn't seen before. Um, and neither had some of the educators who were working within him within the room. And they handled it so well. I honestly, hands down to them, they did an amazing job. I'd be lying to say if they weren't a little bit nervous when they first started the centre because they had never worked with a child with an oxygen tank before. Um, And the mother was probably a little bit nervous too because she hadn't left her child in someone else's care before. However, they worked together as a team. um, And yeah, the educators were super confident. The parents were confident. um, And it's worked out really, really well. We've also had another child who was diabetic and required a lot of care in terms of their diet. He he had a machine that he needed to use to ensure that his, um, I believe, blood glucose levels were all in check. Now, don't get me, uh, don't quote me on this. I actually didn't work one-on-one with this child. So I'm not 100% sure of his needs and how it all worked. However, again, the educators in the room were a little bit nervous at the time because they also hadn't done this before, but with lots of help and support from the parents and the directors and then also seeking out of services as well. Um, they've done a really great job at ensuring that these needs are all met. Um, and then in terms of children who require more physical care, so they need help with mobility and needing aids as such, things like that. There is definitely other support avenues that you can take. So you can have support workers within the centre. And a lot of the time, this is something that the parents will actually look into for the child themselves. And because a lot of children have NDIS as well. So dependent on the children's plan, um, they work in accordance with them. So it's definitely something that I wouldn't be nervous Um, as a parent sending your child to childcare, of course, it's going to be a natural instinct to feel nervous about sending your child. But I think any parent feels nervous about sending their child to childcare for the first time, regardless of what their needs are. Um, But, and just as I suggest to any parent or any family, go and tour a few centres, you know, go to three, go to five, go to 10 if you want and ask all the questions that you want to ask, have a look at all the facilities, you know, and think to yourself, is this something that my child would be able to comfortably be cared for in? Or are we looking for something else? So yes, absolutely. Um, Educators and childcare centres can cater for all children's needs and abilities. It's just a matter of finding the right centre for you. Um, And I guess, I suppose, it's not necessarily that a child has a disability when they have a food allergy. However, we have seen quite severe uh, anaphylaxis cases within the centres over the years. Um, And I've had parents reach out to me and say, look, like CABA, I've toured all these centres and no one feels comfortable having my child in there because they can't cater for their dietary requirements. And it shocks me because they've actually been sent away from centres saying, I'm sorry, we just can't cater for your child, which legally they cannot do. And if I overheard an educator telling a parent, 
I'm sorry, we just can't cater for your child's dietary needs. I would actually just, uh, I would die. I, I would be mortified, absolutely mortified. Because imagine if you were a parent and that was your child and someone said that to you. I just, yeah. So, and as I suggested to this particular family, I just don't think that centre is right for them. And I think that they just need to keep searching and find the right centre for their particular needs. There are so many childcare centres around. um, And particularly at this time of the year, it is really difficult to get your child into care. Um, so the best thing to do would be try and stick it out as long as possible um, and start fresh in January, um, which is the best intake time of the year. Look, there are cases that you can get your child into a centre mid-year, um, but especially if they're on the younger side, it's it's very difficult. So just bear in mind those things. Um, but yeah, absolutely. They cater for children of all needs, um, abilities, disabilities, um, whatever they need. It's just a matter of working together as a team, working with a director, working closely with the educators, um, with your health professionals. Um, Yeah, yes, they can, absolutely. Thanks for listening to Ready or Not. If you liked the show, please tell your friends, subscribe or write a review. You can also find us on Instagram at readyornot.pod. That's it for today. We'll see you next time.